to all my heavy hitters and lockdown defenders. Welcome to the Lockdown Divas Podcast, episode 86. We are back in the building, man, each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. On all your popular platforms, you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Coach Defense. We're here live and direct on a Tuesday, man. We had the last Tuesday in May, and we're here to bring you the news and views of yours truly as a one-stop shop for all news, NBA, and NFL alike. So we're going to get right into it, man. We're going to talk about the Mavericks. I got some hard truths to give to the Mavericks today, um, some things they need to address, some things I've kind of been hitting towards all season, and they're starting to really tuck me head uh, right about now. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the series itself, uh, the Mavericks and the Warriors, and where they stand currently. Uh, they play tonight. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in game four. Uh, we'll get into that. We'll talk about the Heat and Celtics as well. Uh, they had an interesting matchup as well last night uh, in Boston, and uh, that series is tied up. So we're going to talk about that as well, give our opinions on that. Then uh, we're going to get into uh, some news in regarding to my Lakers as well. Uh, some things going on with the coaching search and uh, and some things I want to uh, readdress when it come down to my uh, video I gave last week on how to bring the Lakers back. So I'm going to update that a little bit as well. Then we're going to jump into NFL news. We're going to uh, do some headline news. going to give them some updates as regarding to what is going on with the NFL currently, some breaking news, some signings. We're going to talk about that, uh, talk about hard knocks, and then uh, we'll do a special segment called State of the Patriots. We're going to talk about the uh, Bill Belichick-led Patriots uh, that are what's happening with them now as uh, since Tom Brady left. So we're going to get into that. And then we're going to talk about Daniel Schneider and their, and their controversy and what is going on with the league. Uh, we're going to get into that um, as well. So then we're going to do another for the record. I haven't done one in a while, and uh, it's going to be an interesting one on NIL. Uh, it's an interesting, uh, you know, hard-hitting segment that we have. Uh, if people that are new to the podcast, we want to talk about that. And we're going to get into NIL, the debate about that and what it means and what we think of it as it stands today. And as always, we'll wrap up with a fourth quarter closeout. We're going to get into, give out our awards for Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Dummy of the Week, man. So let's do it. So let's get into who's the news, man. Let's get it. And here we go. So let's talk who's in the news. NBA playoffs, conference finals. We are here. We are here. And uh, watching the games, you know, as a as an analyst, sportscaster, podcaster, you know, sports enthusiast, whatever you want to categorize me as at this very moment, I, I have to uh, say that there's something lacking in the NBA right now. And, um, you know, I don't want to sound like an old man screaming at clouds. You know, I do have a birthday in, in six days, but it, it's it's one of those things where if it was still around, we have a, a more quality basketball in the, in the playoffs, especially. Now you have eighty two games in a regular season, and you have uh, you know ups and downs, ebbs and flows, lows and highs. It it, it comes with the territory over over eighty two game season. I get it, but when the playoffs come. You know, I'm old enough to remember that the playoffs are really high intensity. You know, four quarters is nonstop action. There's no lulls. There's no, uh, I guess you can say, a lull, or I guess you can say, uh, uh, I guess you can say a, a monotone period where things just kind of uh, out of sorts and nothing is really happening. You know, it's, it kind of loses your attention. You know, regular season games can't lose your attention, but playoff games never in my heyday of watching playoff basketball where it was something where it could take my eyes off the screen. Like you were literally glued to your seat uh, and you only got up doing commercials and timeouts. So that's the only time you went to the bathroom, you went to the kitchen or got snacks, re-up, whatever, only doing timeouts. 
and 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 uh, commercial breaks and all that good stuff. The only time you actually got up, but after that, you were glued to the television for those two and a half, three hours, depending on how long the game lasted, right? But I find myself doing that mid-game because things have uh, been, you know, I guess you can say uh, they've had low periods. They've had low periods. They've had periods where it's not that interesting. You know, it's it's really one-sided, it's lopsided, and it's not that interesting. I feel like I'm, again, watching regular season basketball in a certain degree. And um, I think that has a lot to do with uh, something I call the state of the game. Uh, the state of the game has changed. Um, and they, a lot of people want to give Steph Curry the credit for this um, and changing the game to a more three-point and almost exclusively three-point-centric league and three-point-centric game. Um, you know, a long gone are the days of the post player and the inside the paint uh, guy and the inside the three-point arc guy, to be honest. Um, you know, if you want to be plain and, 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 uh, and concise about it. Um, so we're at a, at a period where the dynamics of the games is shifting uh, and it has shifted and it seems to get more and more. It leans more and more into, into the effect of it being a three-point centric league. Um, which is, you know, I give these guys credit. They shoot the three ball really well. I mean, I haven't seen the the efficiency from three-point line ever in life. I mean, even from the great three-point shooters like Bird and Kerr and and uh, B.J. Armstrong, just to name a few guys that really shot the ball well from three, you know, Ray Allen, Reggie Miller, you know, those guys didn't shoot it as, as, as much or as efficient as these guys are shooting now in a lot of regard. I mean, Steph Curry, again, going back to him, and him, Clay Thompson, and a few others, are just, you know, it it, it could it, it really could be a string of four or five in a row and you're, you know, you know, you look to look up and the score is completely different. So I say all that to say that I feel like the state of the game has changed and, and it could use a retooling uh in a sense because I feel like that the game is it, it loses some luster in certain perspectives. It loses some luster. Um, and, and, and I, and I really drill into the fact that this, the, the game itself and the players it, themselves are, are shying away from, or getting away from the lack of a quality two point basketball system, having a, the lack of a quality two point basketball offense, uh, is definitely, uh, hurting a lot of teams in certain respects. And, um, and I noticed that, I mean, it kind of dropped, it kind of dropped up those feelings when I saw the the Grizzlies beat the Warriors by fifty. Uh, that's just something that does not not happen or shouldn't happen in the playoff game. I mean, the playoff the teams should be evenly so evenly matched that you you should never ever, you know, be up by double digits, let alone fifty points. I mean, my God. I mean, people. Don't, I don't. I, we haven't even seen until recently people getting blown out uh, in regular season games by you know 20, 30, 40, 50 points. I mean, it's just unheard of. But yet again, when the three point shot is falling and you just keep drilling in and keep honing in on it, those those points go up and they go up in, a, in large bunches, and this is where you're at. But there are percentages to this. And the three-point shot, in certain regards, in certain spaces, certain time frames, just don't fall. Just don't fall. And and when they don't fall, you don't have nothing else to rely on. That's And, that, and that's the issue. That's where, it, that's where it lands. And that's where teams get in trouble. And I feel like that certain teams, if they had that in their arsenal, on top of the three-point shot, they would have won certain playoff games that that, that didn't go their way. Um, case in point, the Mavericks in game three of the Warriors series, which we're going to get to in a minute, uh, the way that game was running, it was very sloppy early, but it, they were getting, when that game was running early, 
the Mavericks really could have taken control of that game and got up a, a decent amount if they had a quality two-point uh, basketball IQ or two-point basketball system in their arsenal. They just don't have it. Everything's three-point line extended, you know. Uh, again, has value, but, you know, you if being one-dimensional like that, is it, it, it feasts the famine. I feel like the Heat had that problem a little bit. The Warriors have always been that. They're, 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 they're the architects of what we do now uh, in the league. So, you know, they are good at it. They're the savants. So they, they are, they're the ones that are flourishing the, the most. And they uh, honestly could end up winning another NBA title because of that particular ideology. But, you know, being refined in that and being the best at it, let's be real. I mean, I feel like they just might be the best at it. If you're not the best at it and you have these lows and you face a team that's the best at it, they're likely going to beat you a night in the L. Why the series is what is what it is when it comes down to the Mavericks and Warriors series. So you just have to be put, call a spade a spade, you know, and, and just put it down and put it plain that the three points, you know, shot, although it's gotten better from an efficiency standpoint, people have gotten better at it. it again, it, it, it will, you will have those times and those, you know, those areas is where they, you're just not falling. And the Mavericks had that problem. Imagine that problem. It just won't fall. And then it had, they had something else to go to. Uh, and, you know, and then I, mean, I give Wiggins a lot of credit for being really good on Luca when him trying to get inside and get into the interior and, and score close to the basket. But, you know, you know, I'm not saying that you have to have the, the whole uh, old mantra of the back to the basket, power forward center type of mindset or ideology or something you can go to in those spots. But, um, having an athletic big is something I think that you that it's a two way guy that will can ultimately aid you in these situations, uh, and I think that that's something that other teams should address. You know, you know, and it's not just about the back to back stuff. It's really about uh, just inside the arc period. You know, because I even remember a time frame frame in the last couple of years when people are trying to uh, figure out Demar Derozan in his game. Demar Derozan is a mid range guy. And people look at mid-range guys like they're pariahs, like they're dinosaurs, like they are are uh, are not you know what's hot in the streets anymore. They just put it plain. So when it comes down to people wanting Demar Derozan's services, you know even the Lakers balked at it, you know which made me upset as a Lakers fan because I really feel like he had he has value, you know. Um, but he wasn't a three-point specialist. He's a he's a mid-range guy. And he's very good at. It. He's a, I would call him a mid-range savant as well. But even he, he being a mid-range savant and him driving home points at a high clip all season, people have marginalized him as a player. You know, and it wasn't a big market for him. Like I said, he wanted to be a Laker. Lakers balked at him, and the Bulls ended up with him. But it wasn't it wasn't 10, 12 teams barking down his door. It wasn't. You know, so I, and I get, you know, the post player is, is a thing in the past, but – you know, you know, but we're in we're in a league right now. This is where this is where we're drawing down to. We're in a, a ball handling guard and forward league, and you got one athletic big at that's protecting the rim if you're lucky. And it's a power forward slash center combo. You know, your Rudy Gobert, your Robert Williams, uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo in a certain regard. But I put I put Giannis in a different category of like Anthony Davis and DeAndre Ayton and those guys um, because they're they can score as well as defend. So I would say for sure. That um, you know, you have to have those type of guys that can kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, stall you out when your three point shots aren't falling and keep you in games. You know, so that that type of personality or that type of person on your team is you know undervalued in my opinion. I really feel like it's undervalued. Again, I, I'm I'm not trying to come off as the old head that misses the old style of game. I love the new style of the game, uh, the way it runs. The offense is very free flowing. It's very athletic. It's very up tempo. But 
you know, in certain regards, you need those type of things to fall back on when you don't have the three-point ball to rely on night in and night out. Again, everybody can't be the Warriors. You know, it's very few. It's, it's very few far between where they just can't hit. And even when they can't hit, we saw again in, in that Memphis game where they they could not hit a shot to save their life. And guess what? They got beat by fifty because guess what? Memphis hit all of theirs. You know, so again, you want competitive basketball, especially in the playoffs. You know, so you don't have these ups and downs and these blowout victories again because it becomes boring television. You know, I want to see four grueling quarters where it's tight throughout. And you got to literally ball out in the full quarter and, and have a better full quarter than the other team in order to win the game. That's competitive playoff basketball. And I think that should never leave. You know, no matter how the game is running, no matter how the game is being, uh, I guess you can say, played, it should always be a situation where it should be highly competitive. It shouldn't be a 20-point lead in the first quarter and a 30-point lead in the third, first, second quarter and a 25-point lead in the, in the third quarter and a 15-point lead in the game. You know, I, again, you don't you turn away from like things uh, like that. It just it doesn't interest you as a, as a casual fan. Uh, if, if it's your team, you're locked in. But if it's, if, you're, if your team's getting beat like that, you turn the channel. I'm sure a lot of Miami Feed fans turned the channel after the first quarter uh, of the game last night. And I'm sure they did because guess what? They were getting beat bad. Jimmy wasn't good, wasn't efficient. He wasn't his normal self. His knee is bothering him. You know, they were outside of hero, and they just they just didn't have it. You know, so, I mean, unless you're a hardcore fan, it's a rough watch. It's a rough watch. And it's so, it's such, such so many distractions out here that why would you honestly and truly pay attention to that for four quarters of your time? Why would you do that? You know, I'm guilty of, I mean, I'm preparing, you know, for my podcast, things like that, bringing up stats and doing all these numbers and stuff like that. I'm kind of, I'm looking at the game, but I'm listening to it most of them. I'm looking, looking at it because I know the score is ridiculous. You know, even as a person that, you know, monitors sports in a day in day out basis. So to help fix that, like I said, we need we need a better quality two points points a two point offense to come to com- complement the three point uh, shots when they're not falling. That's where it boils down to. So, like I said, that's what makes guys like Giannis, DeAndre Ayton, Anthony Davis, just to name a few. You know, when when Davis is healthy, obviously, you know they make they have the ability to be two great players, and they can give you a good good quality two point basketball when the threes aren't falling. Is should be a model that teams should adapt going forward. Cause that's what I give. That's what I give the Bucks credit for last year, is that they had the clearest example of having a really good two point offense on top of having hard nosed physical defense that will keep you in games when the three point three ball isn't falling. Because let's be honest, the the three ball is only really relying upon Connaughton and, and and Middleton hitting them on a regular basis. Maybe Bobby Portis here and there, you know. But you can't. I mean, you're not really you know. Grayson Allen maybe, but you're not counting on these guys to hit you know, 10, 12 threes a night like Steph and, and Clay and all these guys are doing. You're not counting on that. You're counting on playing tough defense and and keeping the score manageable if you if you're if you're not if you don't have your best uh tools at your disposal that night. Keep the game close and then when you find a way to turn it on at certain points of the game where things kinda of start to lean your way, you do that. But you keep yourself close by scoring two point baskets, even if they're scoring threes. So you keep yourself in the game because if you don't, if you're shooting threes and they're shooting threes and they're hitting theirs and you're not, you get down quick and it becomes insurmountable. Insurmountable. And and again, that's playoff basketball. It shouldn't be like that. It really shouldn't be like that. So like I said, when, you know, it really was ugly head with the Grizzlies game and it just kept happening and kept happening. I'm like, why are we having these blowouts? It's because nobody has a good solid two-point basketball system in their offense anymore or in their, in their team. They don't. 
You know, very few and far between people have those uh, players that are, can do both. Like, you know, I can lean on Robert Williams to play defense, but I can't really lean, lean on him to score with his back to the basket or, or facing the basket, shooting mid-range jumpers. Same thing with Rudy Gobert. They're, they're looking at maybe possibly get, moving off of Rudy Gobert in Utah, potentially because of his liabilities on, 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 on offense. He just can't put the ball in the basket. He can defend the rim, but yet again, he's also not as mobile and agile enough to guard these highly uh, athletic, hyper-athletic wings and guards on, on, on the outside when they run pick and rolls and things like that, run action to keep him away from the basket. So you got to find, you know, so if anybody is out here that's, you know, looking to listen to this podcast is looking to get their children or their, or their aspiring players looking to get into the league, be a two-way player. If you're above six, seven, six, eight, you know, and you're athletic, you you can block shots, you can rebound well, work on your offensive game and your two-point offensive game. Because I feel like if people start to honestly and truly realize that that needs to come back to this a little bit, then you you will become invaluable to to uh to a high level, and people will covet your talents because you can play defense, you can rebound, and you can you can score with your back to the basket, or you can face them and shoot mid range jumpers at at a high clip, and you can get you can get highly efficient, highly uh efficient and high percentage shots for the team to keep teams in games when their three ball isn't falling. So. You know, again, I just need I need more and more teams to adopt this philosophy because the quality of basketball and I'm sure the ratings are are are, are feeling the the effects of this particular uh, brand of basketball. Let me put it that way. So, and I love the three point shot. It's fine. You know, I mean, I love Steph Curry. You know, that's my guy. You know, and a few other people that are, are really proficient from the three point line, but it's becoming a little little out of hand when it comes down to affecting the game and having highly competent and, and, and competitive basketball in the playoffs. You know, again, in regular season, one thing, I still uh, underscored that the season is too long, 82 games is too long, this and the third. But in that particular model, it stands right now until it changes. You have your ebbs and flows, your ups and downs, your lows and your highs. I get it. But in the playoffs, we need to close the ranks and put the best – 16 teams on the floor and they need to go at it and be highly competitive throughout the series. You know, the first couple of rounds, maybe when you got one versus eight and two versus seven, okay, you might have a little bit of disparity there. But when the conference semifinals and the final and the conference finals come around and you still having blowouts, that I mean, and, and if we have a blowout, if we potentially have a blowout in the finals, that's gonna really be telling. That's gonna really be telling about the state of the game. So you know, I would implore NBA teams to adopt a more efficient inside the three-point line type of basketball to rely on a fallback on when your three-ball isn't shooting or hitting. And that will allow you to stay in games and will not cost you games, Miami, Dallas, in, in, in retrospect, when your three-ball isn't falling. You only can win one way. If you only can win by shooting a three-ball and it's not hitting because it's a really highly, uh, it's a really highly inefficient shot, you're going to lose basketball games. And when it comes down to winning or losing the title, I wouldn't want to bank on that, me personally. I want to be have, have something else in my repertoire to go to when one thing, you take away one thing, I need to rely on another. So that's my take on it. So moving on, uh, let's talk about the Mavericks. So and I want to get into what my problem with the Mavericks is in this current state. Um, the Mavericks are down 3-0. Um, and uh, it's, it's starting to become obvious to most what the problem is with the Mavericks. And I've been kind of hitting toward this and I haven't really given my f- 
all in all, Faith and the Mavericks, I'm very uh, pleasantly shocked that they made it this far. I wouldn't even say pleasantly. I would just say shocked. I'm just shocked that they made it this far. I really didn't have them making it out of the second round. I really didn't. So they may win a, a playoff series because I didn't trust the Jazz either. Um, but, you know, after, after that, when they got to meet the Suns or higher seed, I'm like, yeah, they're not going to beat them. But, you know, you got to get the Suns kind of imploded on us. So they just figured out the blueprint. They made it, you kind of did what the, the Bucks did in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. You know, you kind of figured out what the blueprint was and how to stop them. And then you just leaned into it and you ended up beating them. So I would say that um, they just kind of uh, was in a, in a good situation. You know, at a good, they was in the right place, right time. You know, because I mean, this team is really, really, really one dimensional. Um, I would say it's two things. I would there is Luca and whatever he does inside, outside, you know, his slow, methodical game, offensive game, one way. Then, then the highly, uh, high volume of three point shots that they put up. That that's that's the part. That's two. That's, there's two parts of their offense. That's all. It, that's all it is. It's either Luca creating for himself and being a superstar for this team or them shooting three-pointers. And when you have a situation, and, and I feel like the Mavericks are in a, again, when they're in the catbird seat when it came down to playing the Suns, they're in the perfect position to play the Suns at the right time, but in the wrong time to be playing the Maver to playing the Warriors because they are Warriors are definitely built to do it better out, from outside and shooting than the Mavericks can do, number one. Two, they can find ways and 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 do things defensively that can limit Luca in a sense. Now you can say, well, you limit him. He keeps he, he can drop forty twice in the series. Okay, right, right. But again, you know, it's it, it's it's a it's a forty. It's a it's a he had to work for it. It wasn't a forty that he could just you know shoot a you know twenty shots and he got forty points. You know, it's not one of those things. You know, he had to work for it. He had to work for it. So I think that Andrew Wiggins has done a bank up job on him. Um, you know, making him work, and uh, he's also being. Uh, singled out as being a liability on defense. So that's a problem for him too. So his inability to defend, his uh, high usage rate, uh, and his uh, the, the the job that Wiggins has been doing against him defensively has been a pretty you know bang-up job in, in retrospect based upon how people have been playing him. Um, and I also feel like the speed of his play is, is, is kind of affecting the team as well. Uh, as, you, as you can see, and as I underscored in the previous segment, is that the game is super athletic. You know, it's 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 uh, highly paced. It's, it's quick. Um, you know, you're dealing with you know ball handling, three and D wing forwards, and 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 really uh, athletic guards. And you got one athletic big if you're lucky. So in 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 the Mavericks situation, they don't have an athletic big. So they just got guards, guards and forwards that handle the ball well. They're very athletic. So, um, you know, it's it's really it's really feast of famine with the Mavericks, and I really feel like. The recipe that they have is not a good one, in order to be uh to get past the wars. In all honesty, I just don't think it's gonna happen. So, so you have your problems with your um feast of famine three. You have your issue with Lucas usage. Um, you know it's one of these things where people are starting to call him out for being uh kind of you know taking air out the ball in a sense. You know. You know, they can you can go either way with that. You know, some people will say, well, what else are they going to do? Some people will say, well, you know, if he gets his teammates involved more so early on and get them in a rhythm and he can get a shot any time he feels like it, then that should be the motive or mantra he, he adapts. But yet again, um, you know, it is what it is. You do what you do. You know, whatever falls and whatever's happening at the time, you just kind of lean into it. So 
those issues, you know, has ultimately got them down 3-0, you know, and I really feel like uh, going forward because I really don't think, um, and I will combine, kind of combine two seconds to one here and talk about the series itself. I really feel like the series is over. I don't think anybody's ever come back from down 3-0. It's demoralizing. I mean, you gotta, you can't lose a game. You can't have a bad game. And there's a lot of pressure. You know, they're in, they're in uh, Dallas uh, for the next game tonight. But, you know, it's, again, you know, it's it's one of those things where if you, you can come out desperate and come out and try to be uh, really good early. But again, if that shot isn't falling like it wasn't falling in game three, then that, really, that would be really discouraging. They could fold. That's what happens to a lot of teams. And they get swept off the court is that they 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 really go uh, super hard at trying to be, uh, trying to, you know, take the game over and take control of the game early. And and they kind of overcompensate or they press. And, and when they realize those shots aren't falling, it gets discouraging and they start to lose confidence. And, and, and the other team just kind of coasts the victory. So we'll see if they have true desperation and they can get a game off of the Warriors and go back to Golden State. But, you know, I got a feeling it's going to be the sweep or gentleman sweep in this one because the secret's out. <laughs> the secret's out. And the Warriors are, are, are just a bad matchup for them. You know, they just, they finally hit their wall. They finally hit their wall. So what do you do? You know, I, I mean, going forward, I mean, it's kind of like a lean into what's next already. I'm kind of writing them off already. I mean, you know, it's not impossible, but it's very unlikely that they'll win this series, especially the way the Warriors are playing it right now. So I would say that, you know, to to kind of address it and kind of fix it, you need to go out here and find you a legit number two on the wing. Um, somebody that can they can score and can take the pressure off Luca. I've been saying that. That's not that's not that's not a new take for me. If you're a loyal listener, you know that's not a new take for me. That's a, that's the take. Those words I think I said verbatim. They need a number two to take the pressure off Luca, and he needs to be on the wing, and he need to find himself an athletic big. Um, and I'm looking at DeAndre Aiden in all honesty because I think that you know it could be one of those things where he might be at wit's end with the Suns, and if they if they can if they get a decent wing. Uh, that can shoot and and very uh, deficient on both ends. A decent, really good, de- decent, a good two way player. And they get Aiden for for their uh, low post area. They can defend the rim and can score at the rim. That makes them really, really formidable. You know, and they have the money to spend. I think they can give. They can they can afford to give. They can afford to give Aiden the max. You know, because Lucas not even getting paid yet. They can afford to give Aiden the max, and then when Lucas' time has come, they'll give him the max, and they'll be their two players. They're going to get Hardaway Jr. back for at least one more year. He's been hurt. Um, you know, Finney Smith and Jalen Brunson's confidence has been risen because of this series, this playoffs run. So I think that that squad, way it's constructed with Jason Kidd leading, I think that's a much better option and much better chance at going further and being able to get over the hump. Before, uh, you know, before they run into a situation where, you know, Luca kind of gets frustrated or other teammates get frustrated and they want to leave, you know, because I mean, winning cures a lot, you know, you know, you know, you start nitpicking at issues and, and, and raise your eyebrow at things and, and say that you don't like certain things quicker when you lose it. <laughs> so you need to find a way to win and win now to kind of keep everybody happy and at bay and willing to stay, you know, because I look at Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis had an opportunity to get more money in the open market. He stayed with the Bucks because they liked the he liked the winning culture. You know, they didn't work out as well for them this year, but again, he had a great year. You know, so you know it, that's that's the way it lands. You can keep guys like Finney Smith and those guys. You know that you want to keep as role players if they're winning. But if you keep having the same thing happen to you, same song over and over again, the guys gonna get frustrated and you're gonna leave. And then where you gonna what you gonna replace them with? So 
I would be on the lookout for what the, what the Mavericks do here going forward. But the way they play basketball at this moment, I knew at some point it would run out. You know, I got a buddy of mine, and he's a Mavericks fan, and, you know, he's been telling me that they always got a shot as long as they got 77. But I'm sorry. I've been trying to be a, be, the, be the voice of reason for him. I said, I'm, I'm America's voice of reason. And tell him that this this way of the way to play is not going to be sustainable, and he's starting to see now that they're down three zero, and it could be done tonight. It just depends. It just depends. Sweep or gentleman sweep is my prediction. You know, if they go back to Golden State. I, I don't have them. I don't have them leave. I don't have Golden State leaving without a victory. I just don't. You kind of might cruise and play with house money in Game Four, but they're going to be locked in on Game Five. Trust and believe on Thursday. So we'll see. We will see. So. Let's talk about the Celtics and the Heat. Let's get into that. Um, this series is really uh, uh, a hospital ward of a series. It really is. I mean, I mean, people get hurt left and right, man. It's it's very disheartening. Um, because I, I had high hopes for this series. I really wanted to see if the Heat were for real, and were the Celtics, you know, battle tested and ready to take that leap and get to the finals. I really was. I really wanted to see which one it was going to be come come true. Cause I had questions about both. I had questions about both. Now everybody knows that you know I'm I'm a I'm a big fan of Jason Tatum. You know, so if I had to pick, I would definitely pick the Celtics over the Heat. But I would say I would say that it's this series really banks on health, and this series really uh, has been two things. It's been injuries, and it's been three pointers. So whoever's hitting those. Uh, at that time, you know, typically has won the games. Outside of that, outside of game three, I want to say, the first game in Boston, because that was an ugly, sloppy game, and nobody played well outside of Bam out of Bayou. And that and that right there, Bam was another one. There's a good two-way player. Really good back to the basket, you know, face up, um, inside the paint, you know, around the, around the, I guess you can say, around the free throw line, extended area, and being effective at scoring two-point baskets. And really good defender. So he kind of, you know, leaned into my point is where when everything else is going wrong, the, the heat three threes weren't falling, the Celtics threes weren't falling, the Celtics couldn't hit, a, hit the side of a, a barn with a rock at all. And only thing that really worked out for the heat was the fact that Bam could score two-point baskets. And that's honestly and truly what won them the game. You know, his production, because he wasn't shooting threes. He was all his stuff was all two pointers, all of them, and he was doing really well. He was giving Al Horford everything he wanted, everything. So yet again, when you have that to fall back on, that's why the the season series is tied. In all honesty, you know, because if they didn't have that production from Bam at that moment, you know, as sloppy as the Celtics played, they had a real big opportunity to win that game. You know, I mean, all it took what it took in taking is is you know Tatum or somebody to find it for a couple of minutes, and they could have stole that game. And they would have been up 3-1 as opposed to being tied to 2 So, and it seems as if the Celtics win when Robert Williams is on the floor. When he's off, he's not there. They managed to blow out the heat uh, last night, um, you know, with no Marcus Smart, but with Robert Williams on the floor. Like, I mean, the difference, the difference this guy makes is night and day with his team. It really is. I'm not saying they can't win without him, but they definitely, he's definitely a difference maker. So, um, you know, so you got injuries galore. You know, on the heat side, you got Jimmy hobbled with a knee. He's playing, but he's hobbled. Uh, Tyler Hero is out altogether. Uh, he didn't play game four at all, so he's questionable for game five. Marcus Smart, late scratch with a foot. 
issue. He was out, so he didn't play. Now it didn't really, it didn't really matter. Derek White stepped in and he did well um, for the Celtics. But you know, again, you know, Tatum scared us on Game Three. He took a, an issue with injury to his shoulder, uh, and uh, Kyle Lowry hobbled with his hamstring. It's just a, like I said, this is a hospital unit worth of injuries here. It really is. So it, it just really boils down to a three-game series. And only problem for the Celtics is they don't hold home court at this moment. They got to get at least one game in, in Miami. So not that they can't because they got one already. But, you know, the issue is, you know, what the health is going to be long-term. Like, you know, Robert Williams' knee is weak, is game to game to me. You know, he he plays one game, and then sometimes he gets he get some swelling or some soreness in that knee. This is the knee he had surgery on, mind you. You know, and I really feel like to, you know, to uh, – the point of him coming back um, as early as he did, I feel like they rushed him back. I feel like he doesn't, he's not 100% that he has scoped and he's playing, you know, injured and he's trying to, uh, you know, go all in and, and try to win a championship, you know, because he knows how valuable he is as a defender for this team and he's trying his best and I give him credit, but, you know, I just hope it doesn't have any long-term effects to his overall health, you know, especially if they can't pay it all with a championship. This is, it's going to be an uphill battle because I really feel like they're going to face the Warriors if they beat the hell of the Heat in this series. And the Warriors are going to give them everything they they going to have to offer. They are. Everything they have to offer. So you have to, you know, play hard and do it for your teammate because he he's definitely putting a lot on the line, putting his future, his career on the line to be out there for y'all. And we just don't know. And going back to my original point about him being day, game to game, I won't say day to day, but game to game. You know, it, it you know it depends on how his knee reacts to the to the to the rigors of the game, and can he go another game back to back? Don't know. If he's not on the floor, Marcus Smart may come back. But yet again, you know, him not being on the floor has been a difference maker a lot of times. You know, how, would Jimmy be healthier if, uh, with a couple of days rest? What's how the hero play? He's got a growing issue. So you know, it just depends. I mean, if if the this is my take on it, if the Celtics are full strength, everybody's on the floor. No injuries. They're a better team than the Heat. But that doesn't always mean that you're going to win the series. It just doesn't. You know, I mean, if, if let's say hypothetically Marcus and Rob can't go in game five and in Miami and Jimmy and Tyler are on the court, that shifts the dynamic to me, you know. And, and if Jalen uh, Brown, you know, has the type of shooting efforts he's been having, now he's been getting his points uh, in spots, but he's, he's shooting very horribly in the series. You know, he had another stinker last night. It just didn't matter much because they were they got out to such a good lead, and Jason had a great game. But you know, if he does, he's not efficient from the field, and you got those deficiencies. They could they could drop that game in Miami. Have to go back to Boston tied up, and then you right back into Game Seven. And we all know about how Game Sevens run. It's just whoever's playing good at that moment. So it might not be the best team. It just be the whoever outlasts the other. So we'll see, man. But. I don't know. It's a toss-up for me. I mean, it. I, I'll just treat it game to game. If the Celtics are completely healthy in Game Five, I'll give it the game, give them the Celtics the win. But if they're not and they're missing one or two of their main pieces in Robert Williams and Marcus Smart, I'm not too confident that they can win in Miami. But it also depends on what the Miami Heat do in, in their health because you got a Kyle, Jimmy, and Tyler all dealing with injuries, and can they play through it and be effective? If they can't play through and be effective and, and they're missing Robert Williams and Marcus Smart on the other end, they should win. So it all just play, it depends on what, this, what the injury report is come uh, Wednesday night. <laughs> so we'll wait and see. All right, so let's talk about the Lakers here. They're in the news, and, they, you know, they, 
it can't be left out. It's one of the most story franchises in the, in the league. It can't be left out of the uh, news uh, cycle. So first and foremost, and and if I if you haven't looked at my Lakers video on my page, go back and check it out. I lay out exactly. I did my podcast last week as well as part of that, but I did break it up and then make it his own video. It's called Lakers Way Back 2022, and I underscored concisely and completely in detail about what the Lakers have to do, what they need to do in order to get back to prominence. And I have to say that that uh, I'm just gonna say it. Lakers fans. We are not looking good. We might be in trouble and we might not, we might be mediocre to bad for a while because the decisions that are being made and the things that are being put out there in the media. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, argue the idea that things got getting out of the media because they wanted there. Somebody wanted there. They just don't want to be responsible for it coming out. I don't want to have you direct quote me on things, but you know, started with the coaching hires or the, the interviews. So news broke late last week that they had three finalists and they kind of were uh, kind of penciling in and circling Nick Darvin Ham's name around the idea he would be the new uh, head coach of uh, the Lakers, right? Now, if you listen to my video last week or listen to my section in my Lakers locker room section in my podcast last week, you know that I was, I'm big, I'm big on Mark Jackson. I'm big on Mark Jackson. I really feel like he's highly respected. He's a culture builder. He's a player developer. And uh, I really feel like he'll be a, a breath of fresh air for the franchise. Um, but he was not part of the final group of people that they interviewed and they said they were down to their final list um, as far as being selected for the coaching job. So uh, nothing's been official yet, you know, in regards to coaching staff. But again, they, they kind of have their eyes circling around Darvin Ham being a new uh, head coach. Now, I remember Darvin Ham as a player. I don't know much about his coaching history, but I know he's been an assistant for a while. Uh, I think he was in the Lakers organization for a little bit. Um, he bounced around. I think he's with the Bucks right now. So, um, yeah, I, I got a lot of questions about it. Um, you know, I mean, you know, and it's not like, and, and the issue I had with Darvin Ham is that, you know, it's different from Emil Doku. And I give Emil Doku a lot of credit. Um, you know, he worked his way up the ranks. He was uh, an assistant for quite a few different uh, coaches, uh, Hall of Fame level coaches, uh, I, uh, Greg Popovich in particular. Um, so he has uh, his coaching lineage, his coaching tree, and his, 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 learned, his learned tree is, is good. Um, so, and I give him a lot of credit for being, stepping right into the head coaching role and having the Celtics playing like a championship team. But um, based upon Darvin Ham's lineage, his learning lineage, learning tree of coaching, I don't like it, especially being under Budenholzer in the last few years. I don't. I don't. And that gives me a lot of pause because if you take on the ideology of the person you've been with most recently, I don't want Budenholzer's ideology uh, in the Lakers organization. I don't. And I'm going to tell you why. Boonhoser is a decent game-to-game -game coach as far as making adjustments, but he's horrible at in-game adjustments. Horrible. Uh, it, it's just it's things he just lets happen. He just he just says it's just it's just not my night, and he'll just kind of packs it up and and just rides it out, and 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 he'll fix it next game if it's the playoffs or even even the regular season if it's an issue that's happening with the team. But that type of mindset, that type of ideology, is not something that you want when you try to rebuild your image. It's not. 
like I said, I don't, I don't know. I'm not sure anybody for sure, unless you dealt with Darvin Ham directly knows a lot about his coaching style, but I don't know. It seems as if, you know, to me, his personality, his, his um, laid backness, you know, and his, again, if his coaching lineage is anything like Budenhoser or anybody like that, then I'm, I'm out. I'm out on it. I really am. So, you know, despite whatever Darvin Ham brings or does not bring, if he's going to be the new head coach, my bigger issue is the, is the, is the front office. It's because you, you really looked at Darvin Ham as being a fixer over other people, i.e. Mark Jackson and some others. Right. Um, you know, Jawan Howard's name got thrown around in there as well, but he he completely dis, dis, dispelled those rumors because he said he was staying at Michigan. Well, I think his sons were played for him at the moment. So he's not he has no aspirations of leaving, especially not taking the Lakers job, which honestly, and truly, I'm, I'm not sure I blame you, you know, and to be honest. Um, but Jawan, and it, I feel like Jawan is, re- is really good for young kids at this moment. I don't think he's good for grown men at this moment. I just don't think so. I think he's really good where he's at. I think he's good for college, and I, I don't think he's he's good for the pros at this moment. Um, so with that being said, my issue is with the front office again. You know, the decision making you that you have. I mean, t- I mean Terry Stotts is a finalist, and Terry Stotts flamed out in in Portland. You think Terry Stotts or or, or uh, somebody like uh, uh, the coach from the Jazz? Uh, his name is escaping me at the moment, but um, but yeah. I mean, you think that those guys who who can't seem to get a uh, breakthrough in their their respective markets in a smaller market is going to be good for the Lakers? That's not smart thinking, in my opinion. It really isn't. It really isn't. Uh, I just don't understand the the idea of w- what they think is going to be a a good a good fit for this. Quinn Snyder, Quinn Snyder for the for the Jazz. He was a, he was a, he was a candidate. Quinn Snyder didn't work. He couldn't seem to make the Jazz work in certain respects. So why would you think that he's going to work in, in this, he leave a small, leaving a small market in Utah, not really working to working in LA. No, same thing with Terry Stotts. Terry Stotts did not work at all in Portland. Why would you think he was going to work in LA? Bad idea. That's a bad idea. So the decision making for your coaches bother me. Number one, the, the idea that these questions that you, they're, they're being asked of the candidates, it bothers them too. Because they're asking questions, from my understanding, about whether or not uh, these coaches can make Russell Westbrook work with the Lakers. Lord have mercy. Oh, my goodness. I think we have seen all we need to see from Russell Westbrook. I, I really do. It does not matter who coaches him, who, who he, he is who he is. And he is not a good fit for the Lakers. I said that from the time the trade was announced. And I'm still saying it. He is not a good fit for the Lakers, no matter who is on his roster, because he he plays one way, and he has to have a team around him that allows him to play that one way. And the Lakers are not that team. Now, as long as LeBron James and Anthony Davis are in uniform for the Lakers, it's not going to work. Not going to work. So, again, I don't have a lot of confidence in Jeannie and Rob and their decision making. However, they're listening to telling them these things because if you, if you're if your idea it is if this is not a if this is not a shell game and what i mean by shell games you're not trying to you know convince people that you might be keeping russell westbrook to drive up his trade value if you're really truly concerned about him being on a roster and whether or not he'll work at 47 48 million dollars uh, a year for his last year if you're concerned about how the coach is going to make him work 
then you're already setting yourself up a failure. If you bring in a coach like Terry Stotts or, or Quinn Snyder or, or Darvin Ham, for instance, and they already come into the building trying to figure out ways to make Russell Westbrook work, we already set ourselves up for a losing season. Already. And that's just a fact. That's just a fact. Russell Westbrook is a ball-dominant, high-usage guard. He has to move 100 miles an hour every play, and he has to attack the rim. And when he gets uh, closed in on, he kicks the ball out to shooters. That's his game. He drives, kicks, and creates that. But he's looking to get his first. He's looking to score, rebound, and assist off his, his collapsing of defenses to other people. And that's how he gets his assist numbers and his triple-doubles. That's not winning basketball. That's not Lakers basketball. And that's damn sure not going to work with LeBron James and Anthony Davis been on the court. It's not. It's not. So you should be looking to trade Russell Westbrook and find a culture builder and a person that the locker room is going to respect come day one in the building going forward. But if you're going to make these type of decisions, you're going to keep tripping and falling over yourself and you're going to waste a little bit of time you have left with LeBron James and we're going to continue to see injury-prone Anthony Davis because they're going to be trying too hard and falling on their face and be beat up and, and still not win games. No matter who's going to be the supporting cast. Because, you know, to be honest with you, if you're going to keep those three, you're not going to have a much of a supporting cast anyway. Because you got three max players on your team. So your role players and your bench are going to be quite thin and quite under develop as far as talent is concerned. Or you have a bunch of old guys like you did this year that own rookie minimum or they own veteran minimum deals and they're pretty much washed up in this. And and, when it, and I only want to say they washed up as an athlete. They're just washed up in the game where it plays in today. All about what I just talked about in the topics before now, how the game has changed. Top of the segment, I talked about how the state of the game has changed. And those old guys can't keep up with that style of play. They they, they don't they can't play that level of basketball anymore. If they ever could, because begin some of these old guys, the game, the league wasn't the way that it is now. Then the way it is now, when they play, when they're in their prime, the game wasn't the way it is now. So yet again, you had those three max players on your roster, and you let Russell Westbrook eat up the most money at forty-seven, forty-eight million dollars a year. LeBron making forty, AD making forty. You have no money left for anybody else. And those three don't work together. We've we've seen enough. And if that's going to be your move and that's going to be a mantra, then another fell losing season. And we're going to be bad for a while, Lakers fans, like I said. So that's going to wrap up who's in the news for the NBA. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to get us our NFL segment and NFL headlines. It is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. <laughs> Lockdown Defense family, Coach Defense here, reminding you that the Lockdown Davis podcast comes to you each and every Tuesday at 10 a.m. on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also AHA Radio. And here lately, the YouTube page has been taken off, so if you subscribe to that, if you have not, turn your notification bells on so you never miss an upload to the channel. The Lockdown Davis podcast comes to you each and every week, breaking down the news and views of yours truly, giving you heavy-hitting content, Educated opinions on the NFL, NBA, Lakers, and Chargers news as well. My home's base squads. So if you're looking for a one-stop shop for edgy, real opinions and news of the popular world of sports, look no further than the Lockdown Davis podcast. 
Also, if you're looking for me in between podcasts, follow me on any on any and all of my social media platforms. Uh, Lockdown Defense Sports for Instagram and Twitch. On Twitter, it's Lockdown Defense. And as I actually had a bonus, if you want to get in and get some questions answered in our mailbag, send me a DM on any of those platforms, or you can email me at LockdownDefenseSports at gmail.com. Uh, get those questions in any time between now and Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time each and every week to be eligible to be on the show. The Lockdown Divas Podcast, once again, each and every uh, Tuesday at 10 a.m. on all platforms we get your podcast from. So please tune in, subscribe, and turn your notification bells on so you know exactly when we go live. Now back to the show. Back with NFL headlines. It's the Lockdown Defense Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. All right, so we got some uh, news and uh, breaking news, I guess you can say, as regards to uh, signing that happened that I kind of pretty much predicted, a lot of people predicted um, that was going to happen. Um, got some news on Hard Knocks about as well. And we got a couple of segments that we're going to get to on the Patriots and the Commanders. So we're going to get into that as well. But um, first and foremost, uh, we want to. Uh, uh, said another free agent uh, chip fell. Uh, one of the, another highly coveted free agent that other people had their eyes on. Um, they were trying to procure his services for the upcoming season. Uh, Jadavion Clowney, uh, he decided to go back, which I think is a great spot for him to be at. I think he's definitely uh, going to flourish the best here and going back to the Browns. Uh, he's going to team up again with Miles Garrett. He's going to have another dual uh, threat pass rushing uh, model in their defense on each edge. Um, as well so they're going to have that going for them again which is really good for the team I think the defense is going to very much benefit from having those two healthy monsters on the edge to uh, rush the passer each and every week so um, you know Miles Garrett won't be able to draw those double teams and those chips all the time because they're going to have to uh, be worried about Clowney coming off the other side you know on top of what they can do in the interior D-line and scheming up blitzes you know with their linebackers and such you know uh, utilizing uh, you know uh, JLK uh, Jeremiah Okoro Komosa, I hope I said that right, but JLK, uh, utilizing him in uh, in certain sets as well in that sub package. So, um, you know, just think out loud, but a few, few schemes, my defensive brain is working. So just think about some schemes they can do as far as, you know, uh, addressing the idea of getting to the passer, um, you know, because that's paramount in this league right now. You got to get to the passer. You got to be able to do it. So Clowney's definitely with the uh, Browns going forward, another one-year deal. Um, he did turn down some higher money yet again. Um, about $14, $15 million in, in open market to go back with the Browns. I don't blame them, though. Um, take $3 million less than be comfortable. I mean, you already supplanted yourself there as, as last year. You already a mainstay. You already know the lay of the land. You know the team. You know, the defense is good. You got a new quarterback. Um, same, you know, coaching staff. So, you know, you don't want to rock the boat. I get it. You know, so I think that was a great fit for him. I think he will do well with this. And he can he stayed healthy last year. So, hopefully, he'll stay healthy this year and, and get that uh that defense that boosted from the pass rushing side. So, Shouts out to Jadavian. All right, some more news came out. It wasn't roster-related or signing-related, but it was definitely uh, an announcement. 
um, the Cardinals. Um, as you know, we have hard knocks in the preseason, right? Which is fun, nice to watch. But you also have uh, you have uh, hard knocks in season now, and the Colts did it last year. Um, so we got to watch. I mean, they kind of got uh, mundane and kind of boring towards the end, to be honest with you, because uh, the Colts weren't having the best season towards the end. But um, but they did have an in-season hard knocks um, as well. So uh, the in-season candidates this year are going to be Cardinals. Um, I, I want to say I forget who's the who's the preseason hard knocks candidate. I forget, but the Rand, but the uh, Cardinals are going to be the in season one this year, and we're going to get see more of it because the series for in season goes longer than the hard knocks season goes for the preseason because you only get the play, the preseason for hard knocks in the preseason. You don't get to see anything above that. Um, you get to see people get cut down to the fifty three roster or get onto the private squad, and that's it. You don't get to see week one's game or nothing. So. It ought to be interesting, uh, and it's kind of it's kind of interesting that the Cardinals front office and, and ownership would would agree to this, right? Because I feel like this is kind of a contentious moment for them. Uh, I would say that uh, that uh, Arizona being the talk of the town or being uh, under the microscope of hard knocks cameras during this time frame is is it really a good idea? Uh, I don't know. I got questions about it because you do have a lot of uncertainty with your quarterback right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, unless you are confident that some stretch that Carla will calm down, which I don't think he will. Um, or you can feel like you can get a deal done prior to you doing this particular venture with hard knocks, because I'll be honest, you know, if you want to, if the, you or the league wants to be able to highlight your football, uh, prowess, I think that the idea of Kyler Murray's uncertainty will, will supersede that particular uh storyline and the headline and that'll be the talk of the town like every every episode is going to the start of it or the headline is going to be what's new with calamari you know because he's made it clear that you know he's you know already kind of barking at up a voluntary otas so i'm not sure what he's gonna do with mandatory otas and camp if he yeah, he'll have a contract by then but i got a feeling that this is going to be a long process if the if the cardinals don't Bend and, and sign him now. So, um, which I I'm not sure. I mean, I didn't look at their books in in, in with a deep microscope, but I'm not sure what the difference is that keeping him as at his the current deal versus signing him now. Like, I would almost argue that like you can you can maybe convince him to play on that money that now, and that would be what's on the books this year, and then you can pay, you're gonna have to pay him next year anyway. So why not just give him the deal? I don't I don't really get what the Cardinals are doing here. Um, I don't know if they want to play the franchise tag game because they really like, they feel like they going to they want to kick the can down the road as far as possible, I, you know. And I'll be honest, I don't think that's something you want to do anyway. To be in all honesty, and 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 have uh, Kyler because I don't think the Kyler is, is is political or is 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 a uh, go team as as Dak Prescott was or is. I really don't think so, and I think that he knows that his talent level. I mean, hell, the boy can drop football today and tomorrow and go play baseball. And make millions of dollars, he, and he won't get hit for a living. So it's not like he needs football, and I think that he will get upset and get—I uh, guess you can say—I um, don't want to use the word petty, but he can become uh, very unhappy with the organization and just decide that he don't want to play there anymore. Um, you know, force a trade or, or, or you know, write out his current contract. You know, not play. You know, set, set out not play. Um, you know, tell him you can keep that little $5 million or whatever they're paying him in his last year of his deal. 
or um and just you know take a year off and do whatever and 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 then when it comes down to him being available next time he can kind of pick his where he wants to go um but you know because I, I don't think you know it's one of those things too where i don't think they're going to get anywhere by franchise tagging him i don't think let's, let's look at it this way if Kyler sat out the whole year because they did they just refused to pay him right and he becomes a very uh standoffish with the organization the idea of franchise tagging will just infuriate him further he will never play for you and you're just paying this money for nothing so you're going to hand your hand you're going to be forcing him in his own right and look at deshaun watson you know he just decided he just dug in his heels and said i'm just not going to play and you were for at some point, you know, even though you got good compensation for him, you were forced to trade him and you're starting over at quarterback. So do you really want to go down that road or do you really want to keep kicking out a can down the road and pay Dak Prescott And the market? is going to be higher for quarterbacks and he's going to want top dollar and you're going to be less able to be mobile in your moves when your roster in, in, in your roster moves in your roster uh, manipulation, the seller cap. So he's going to get more and more expensive. So you should pay him now when the market's kind of, you know, even kill and, and just get over with. But yet again, I just sat here and talked about this for a good two, three minutes about the idea of his contract. That's going to be the whole story out of the hard knocks show. It's, that's all they're going to talk about. And I'm going to talk about anything that's going on with the season. Nobody's going to care. All they're going to tune in for is what's going on with Kyle Murray. So is that really something that you want to be uh, privy, you know, privying the audience to? Do you want to subject the fan base in the, in the NFL world to? Is talking all about Kyler's controversy. So the idea of them signing up for this could be good. It could be bad. If I'm them, because I got hard knocks coming in, I I need my quarterback to be in the house and be happy. You just need to go ahead and get that deal done. But will the Cardinals do it? We don't know. Adam, we don't know what's being offered and what's on the table and what Kyler wants. We don't know none of that. But if anything close to fair market, I just, just bite the bullet and pay him Arizona. That's what I would do. But, you know. Y'all guys do this for a living. I just report it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I, I don't I just think that with that all that going on, you don't want to have the level on because let's be real. If there's uncertainty, even if Kyler decides to play, you know, just kind of lend somebody DeAndre Ayton take. If he decides to play and there's still has some uncertainty with his contract, he's not gonna be all in. So you're gonna basically mortgage a few of a season with the talent that you have, which is very which are very good offensively, especially you have, you have great talent on the offensive end. Do you want to mortgage that season because he's unhappy? Do you really want to do that? I don't know. He, cause at this point is either, it's one of two things. If you don't pay him the money he wants, the one, two things, he won't play at all or he'll play unhappy and he won't be, he won't be the economy that you need him to be because he's improved every year he's been in the league. So you want him to be able to take that next step and not be, uh, a person that is falling back or, or or holding back because he's unhappy with the way the organization is doing things. So I will pay him. That's just me. All right, so let's talk about the Patriots here. Um, I'm gonna call the state this this segment "State of the Patriots." Um, I'm very confused. You know, we've always been kind of in the dark. It's been mysterious about what what the bill what the Bill Belichick and the Patriots have been doing over the years, but you know, he's always had the idea of having Tom Brady as his fallback person, right? He's always had that, you know, you know, for whatever, for whatever it's worth, he's always had that, right? But Tom Brady going on his third year being gone, right? And um, it's becoming more and more of a problem. And so, and, and I'm looking at it as if 
Tom Brady covered up for a lot of misgivings in this organization. He really did. Based upon the numbers. Now, I'm just not looking at it from a personality or, or play or production. Just the raw numbers. Tom Brady covered up for a lot in this organization. And, and I'll give you one glaring stat. Uh, New England Patriots, as, as Tom Brady being a full-time starter, from the time he full-time started in the season to the time he left the organization in 2019, they had no more than six losses in a season. And that was only once. That was only twice. Only twice. They only had six. They only had, they only had more than six losses. And in a season one time, twice, I'm sorry, twice. Well, yeah, I don't count the Matt Castle year. So yeah, so again, so I'm not gonna count the Matt Castle year, but it, it, they've had no more than let, let's, let's call it seven. They've had no more than seven losses in a season. Let's call it let's call it six six point five six point more than six point five losses in a season since Tom Brady's been there, and the more, only twice. They've had two since Tom left, and I feel like that we're going further down in a downward spiral than we're going up. <laughs> it's very glaring about how valuable Tom Brady was to this team at this point. I mean, they had, uh, we're just going to sit here and count. We're going to count here. They had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 divisional titles in Tom Brady's tenure there. And going forward, I don't think they're going to have any more. <laughs> Because uh, a guy by the name of Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills are here to stay. So, as much credit as we want to give Bill Belichick, um, I think we got to give just that little more edge or, or nudge to Tom Brady of holding this this team together. Because the idea of, or the principle of getting it done with less does not work unless Tom Brady's the quarterback. It just, it just doesn't. And you add on the added fact that Josh McDaniel, who's been his main state coordinator for most of this regime, is now gone as well. He's in Vegas with the Raiders. So um, I got a feeling that the is rough days ahead for the Patriots. Now, they went 10-7 and seven last year, but yet again, Josh McDaniel was in the building. Um, Matt Jones was his first-year starter. Um, they, you know, they did very limited things. They didn't, they didn't open up and, 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 and basically let the light the skies on fire with Mac Jones being there. They didn't do that. Um, 179 the previous year with Cam Newton as quarterback. So, uh, and, you know, I was doing COVID and COVID and Cam had COVID through that stress too. So that was an issue. So <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what, what we can honestly and truly uh, hang our hat on what the Patriots are going to do going forward. I just I don't think that it's going to be um, it's going to end well. In all honesty, I mean, I really feel like that this is going to be a downward spiraling trend for them for a good while. I just don't, and I really feel like that they could really take a turn uh, downward this year for this particular reason. It's the simple fact that you have a second year quarterback um, who has a new offensive coordinator who's yet to be named. That's another issue. Yet to be named, yet the name of a new offensive coordinator. We don't know who that guy is going to be. Uh, they they float around a few names of old, uh, uh, I guess you could say, 
of older coaches, Patriot coaches that have been here before and have come back. Uh, Patricia has been named, maybe possibly. Um, uh, a couple other guys that are, and and um, you know, maybe even a couple of guys in the house. Who knows? But but Bill's been very cryptic about who he wants, who he going to name as his office coordinator. Very cryptic. Um, now we could say that's for good reason, you know, knowing Bill's history and his his uh, Sith Lord like ways, but. I, I, he may not know. I, I have a sneaky suspicion he does not know for sure what he's going to do next. I really do. I do. I do feel that way to a certain degree. He's just not sure. I mean, I think he's being. I think he might be feeling like the game is passing him by. What what his 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 mantra was. It was kind of like being a, a kind of like this. What I talked about earlier in the basketball segment is that his offense is 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 a bunch of post players and slow forwards. And everybody else has athletic three and D wings. <laughs> that's, and that's just what it is. That's just what it is. You know, and he can't keep up. And he can't pivot fast enough to keep up. And maybe he doesn't want to. Because if you look at his roster and, and, and the guys that he's acquired um in free agency and in the draft, they're not they don't lend to that 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 mindset. Like the only person I can really say that that kind of bucks the trend of what the Patriots normally do is him drafting Tyquan Thornton in the second round, which most people had Tyquan Thornton as being a third, fourth, maybe fifth round wide receiver in in that space because he's a he's a kick returner, um, very speedy guy from Baylor, but he's not he wasn't one of the prototypical receivers that guys were looking at in the top of the draft. But he drafted him in the second round, you know, so. You know, I get it. He's he's he can stretch the field. He has elite speed. He has he's a long strider. He's fast. He's tall. On top of that, now I mean, you know, because I'm slightly jealous because I I, I kind of wanted him at, with the Chargers in the later 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 in, in the draft, but he he jumped on him in a second. And I mean, he, a lot of people were scratching their head at him and at Cole Strange pick the guard he picked up um, early on in the first, and people had like a third or fourth round grade on him. So, which is amazing to me that he picks up Cole Strange, but but Jameer Salier or the fellas of the Chargers in the six. I keep harping on that. I don't, still don't know how that happened. You know, to me, Jameer is very, very much more polished than, than Cole Strange is. But that's what Bill does. That's what he does, and people don't really understand it. And, you know, for a long time, we didn't understand it, but it worked. And somehow or another, Bill figured it out. He figured out how, how to get it done. But but he had Tom Brady. <laughs> That's the bottom line to it all. And he and Tom Brady's not walking in through that door in no time soon, buddy boy. I'm sorry. It ain't happening. It ain't happening, Captain. And um yeah, I mean, what we gonna what we gonna see in 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 uh in the next year or two for sure is gonna do a lot to tell on Bill, in a sense, because we're gonna look at it like uh clearly Tom won a divorce. And, and on top of the fact that Tom wanted a divorce, you know, Bill is not going to be able to recover from it. That's going to be the issue. That's going to be the issue. So we gonna uh we gonna sit back and wait. But um, slight hot take from my from my uh desk here as I sit. I got a sneaky suspicion that that the that the Patriots are gonna finish third or fourth in the division. Because, you know, as sneaky and as schemy as Bill can be defensively, I feel like his offense is going to take a, a dramatic step back no matter who's Bill O'Brien, Patricia, no matter who's the who's OC, call them plays. 
You're not Josh McDaniel. And I got a feeling with a, a limited ceiling with Mac Jones and, um, you know, uh, uh, I guess you can say a, a somewhat clunky uh, receiving room. Now, he has players. Now, if, if they were on different, they were on a different staff, I would say this is pretty good receiving core, but I just don't know. I mean, because you got – you got you, you got Devontae Parker in the trade. He's a really good possession receiver, really good outside receiver. Tyquan Thornton, who you drafted, is a really good receiver. You got Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. Um, you got two really good two really two good really good tight ends and Hunter Henry and John o. Smith. You got weapons. Um, you know you brought Ty Montgomery back and a few others. Um, you know as far as being you know dual threat uh, players, but again you should still have Mac Jones as a quarterback and he's learning a new offense. So. I feel like that's going to be clunky in its own right. So with the Jets getting better talent-wise, the Dolphins getting better talent-wise, and they got young quarterbacks, I get it that Bill feasts on young quarterbacks and he makes it difficult for them, but I feel like he got the same problem that they have. They got a learned quarterback, a young learning quarterback, and that just to me that's going to be a recipe for disaster. And, you know, Bill's not, you know, a world-beating offensive-minded guy. He's a defensive guy. So – and I always say, if you got a defensive-minded head coach, you got to hit your home run with your offensive coordinator, and they got to be able to run the offense like their head coach. It just takes that part of the team, and they just run it, and they do it. They don't need a whole lot of input from you as the head coach. And I'm sorry, Patricia and Bill O'Brien don't strike me as being those guys. You know, we saw Bill, Bill, we saw Patricia completely flame out in Detroit as as a head coach. One, we saw Bill O'Brien flame out twice in his last two jobs. So I don't know. I don't know, but I think there's sad days, truly sad days ahead for the New England Patriots. That's just my take on it. All right, so the last topic of NFL headlines we're going to talk about um, uh, is an ongoing one. Um, you know, we talked about uh, the Raiders and the Commanders uh, at length last week in regards to the crux and the genesis of what the problem is, and people aren't focusing on that. Right? That's problem. That's that was that's issue one. But now we're at a, a crossroads of uh, league drama when it comes down to owners and, and Daniel Snyder for the commanders um, to the point where the league is now taking a poll of votes from the owners saying would they vote if they were pressed upon to vote uh, for Daniel Snyder to sell a team. And, um, and I kind of laugh at this because this particular uh, move and they're motivated by this because of what Daniel Snyder did in costing them money. Now it wasn't about the scandal, the hostile work environment, the harassment, the racist undertones, the sexist undertone, the misogynistic and narcissistic undertones in the, in the hostile work environments that they created um, over a long period of time. It wasn't about none of that. It's when you affected my bottom line, all of a sudden now, on top of all the scandal and all the leaks and all the emails going back and forth, you know, that was all cool, <laughs> you know, or I was just going to turn the other way and let you deal with it. Cause that's your business. Not mine. You know, some people do that. I mean, they just mind their own business and they're going about it, running their team. They don't focus on what you got going on. That's just, or it's one less team that I got to worry about when it comes down to, uh, me being, you being competitive against me. You know, that's one less team. I got a third, I got 30 other teams that are 31 other teams to worry about as an owner. So, they're probably looking at it like that. So I'm not worried about Dane Snyder. But now we're at that point where they're talking potentially, possibly voting him to uh, sell a team. <laughs> um, yeah, that's where we're at. Now, 
ironically enough that uh, a story came out as well yesterday that they also purchased they spent a hundred million dollars in money to purchase land in Dumfries, Virginia for but possibly potentially uh, ground for a new stadium <laughs> which is wild in its own right which honestly truly if they did move out of FedEx I wouldn't be completely utterly mad because that will not uh will help traffic in my area I'm not too far from there <laughs> I live not too far from there, so on game days, traffic is a nightmare trying to get home. Um, so they did do that. I wouldn't be completely mad. I don't go to Commanders games that often. I mean, Chargers come in once every three years maybe, and, you know, that's pretty much it. <laughs> I don't go to much Commanders game outside of that. Um, so with that being said, you know, I mean, I don't – it doesn't bother me that they're moving, but it's just interesting that despite the fact, you know, it's, it's almost like one of those things where y- you've – you might want to hold off on doing that or spending that money because if they do vote you to have to sell a team, then where, what does that leave that money? You know saying? What does that leave the next ownership that takes, takes ownership of the team? Cause they'll be be run by the league until the, to if he's had to sell and he's forced out, he'll be, he'll until the sellers finalized, he'll delete the team will be ran by the league until such time it has a new owner. Right? So what does that leave the, the potential of new stadium production? You know, I'm sure the new new owner will want his own stamp and own decision into what happens with the new stadium. So it's one of those things to me, like, why would you spend the money or why would you go forward with the transaction if you knew that they were coming down on you with a potentially voting you out? Like, I, I don't I don't think I don't. It seems a bit arrogant to me. Like, you know, I don't care what y'all do. I'm still going to find my way to build me a new stadium. The necessary. Y'all not going to make me sell, you know, all this type of stuff. I don't know. Or maybe he knew, or maybe he called around to his owner buddies and say, well, he knew they won't have the n- enough votes to say yeah to vote him out, so he was going to do business like it's, like it's normal. Maybe it was that. But interesting that we've gotten to this point, because I didn't think it would get here. Um, and But, I mean, it's, you know, fans have been clamoring for a while to, for them to sell a team, and, and just just based upon how he's been running it, into the ground in, in most cases. Um, so my fans have been calling for a while for them to sell it, and then the scandal – on scandal on top of scandal has been really putting a black eye on the league and in the organization as a whole, you know, you know, nobody really even cared about this whole name reveal thing because it was overshadowed and, and completely uh, darkened by the scandals. So nobody really cared. Um, but I ain't been doing a good, pretty good job of calling the commanders. Though. I do give myself credit for that. Cause I struggled with the Washington football team for a long time. A lot of struggle with a long time, but I'm doing pretty good with the commanders. So that, that, there's that. But I, I'm just I'm just curious about where this is going to end. Um, will they vote to, to to move him um, based upon the fact that he cost them money? And that was the only reason. You know, it was cool for you to be you know involved with racist, sexist, misogynistic, narcissistic scandals. That's okay. You know, that's that's okay. You know, maybe because that's where a lot of us got the same thing going on. We don't want it. You, we'll let them focus on you. We don't want them looking at us. But <laughs> when the moment you cost other people money, then they, they, then we got an issue. And we got problems. We got to we got to have a come to Jesus moment, and sit down and talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, we'll get you out of here. So, very curious, very curious, and I'm very I'm even doubly curious about if they do go forward with the idea of 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 air quarter evicting him from the league, right, forcing him to sell. What's going to happen with the Raiders? Because it's 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 frustrating me uh, to a degree because I am an AFC West uh, fan. My Chargers is my team. And, you know, and being in a space, being part of the Wild Wild West podcast and being, uh, you know, in deep into the uh, the abyss of the AFC West. Right. 
I'm seeing Raiders fans more and more about their takes on things and how they feel about certain things, how they uh how they feel about the whole scrutiny about Mark Davis and the ousted president and John Gruden and all this stuff, right? And yet again, all they're focusing on is the fact that they were singled out. That's all they're focusing on. They're not focusing on the fact that they they have uh certain characteristics in certain people in their organization. They're not focusing on that. They're not focusing on that at all. You know, they're not focused on the scandal. They're focused on the, the issue at hand. You know, there, there's been allegations for years that's been going on in this organization and nobody's tripping off that. You know, it's just, a, just, a, just what's it is the price of doing business is what some people said, you know, it's the price of being a, a fan of the team or, or working for the team, working for the organization. That's the price of doing business is what they said. You know, you're going to be in a high pressure situation. You're going to have to deal with some harassment, some some discrimination. You're going to have to deal with that kind of stuff. It's it's just the pressure of the, of the jobs, the nature of the beast. Totally off base. Totally completely off base. It's, it's almost despicable to think. You know, I'm using Jimbo Fisher's word here. It's almost despicable to think that that's okay for for people. That's okay for you. That 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 bothers me to to a high level. That bothers me. It's not my team. But I'm just as, as a human being that bothers me. That you're okay with what John Gruden said and did. You're okay with that. You know, want to use the one person that's of African American descent to that the, the air court defended John Gruden as, as a reason why he's not the way people think he is. I, I I beg to differ. I beg to differ. You know, and and this is my issue, my thing, because like minded people hang around like minded people. So you, you honestly, truly should. And if you don't do this, you should start. If you meet one person and they have a group of people around them, right? Group of people they run with, they hang with, they are friends with, right? They do things outside of work, right? If that, if one person who's outspoken about certain things that you aren't cool with, you, you don't agree with, if they are about, or they have those type of ideologies, you might want to question the people they have around them as well. You really should because those type of people probably are complicit or comfortable or, or agree with those type of ideologies. So for Mark Davis to hire and back and, and, and basically uh, uh, praise and loathe John Gruden as a coach, even after, even if okay, I'm going to say, even after he knew, I'm going to say that first. Even after he knew about what John Gruden said, did, and how he acted. Even after that, because I argued that he wouldn't he knew before that. You knew exactly the type of person John was behind closed doors before this. But you you knew you knew. In, in my personal opinion, you knew the all this. But let's just say hypothetically in a in a crazy word that you didn't. But the fact the moment he comes up and it starts the veer's ugly head. And you don't have a problem with that. You don't check that. You don't say that's wrong or say that you that you shouldn't conduct yourself in that matter as the coach of my team you're complicit with that particular mindset and that particular way of thinking and it's okay with you it's okay with you so that right there i have an issue with that i have an issue with that because again that goes back to my point last week i brought up about not focusing on the genesis and the crux of the issue the very root of the issue Without the root of a tree, you have no tree. Think about what I just said. You have no root of the tree, you have no tree. 
So if the root of the tree is a racist, sexist, misogynistic, narcissistic person, if that's, if that's the root of the problem, if you take those roots out, the tree's gone. You don't have anything else by, by, by above that. Focus on the root of the tree versus the, the, the leaves on the branches. Is everybody focusing on the leaves of the branches? Oh my God, we we were in a scandal. They're singing us out. They they they're 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 executing a hit job on their on organization. We can't stand for it. They're out to get us. Give me a break. Give me a break. If you didn't have the issue that you had in your organization, you would have a problem here. We're just going to sweep under the rug that all these things happen, right? It's okay. It's okay for him to say those things. It's okay for him to act that way. It's okay for him to be that way. He's just a he's just a a man's man of a coach. Bull. Bull-ish. He is a bad person. And anybody complicit in that circle, I would question that character as well. I really would. They might not be all in on what he thinks and what he says and what he does, but they're complicit in the behavior. And he doesn't stand up for it to be wrong at the time it happened, which makes you an accomplice to the crime. And that's just a fact. That's just a fact. So scream hit job and scream they're singling you out and they don't like Mark Davis and they won't want to see the Raiders or the commanders flourish. They don't want to see us do well. <laughs> if you didn't have Daniel Snyder, Mark Davis, John Gruden, Jay Gruden, Bruce Allen in your organization to begin with, because of the type of people they were, you wouldn't have these problems. And that's just a fact. That's just the bottom line. Shout out to Stone Cold Steve Austin. So that's gonna wrap up NFL headlines. Take a quick break. We'll be back with For the Record. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. Hey, I'm just here so I don't get fined. So all my lockdown defense goons and goblins, coach defense here. Wanted to remind you that our weekly debate show, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt, broadcasts live each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and is simulcast on Twitch and YouTube. We bring you chase down blocks and decleating content each and every Saturday. And so I'm here to tell you, keep your head on the swivel because you never know exactly what Coach Kurt and I will say next. Each and every week, we break down hot topics of the NFL and NBA of the week in the world of sports. And if you haven't seen the show by now, it, one egg can honestly truly not do it justice. So it'll be your best interest. It'll be your best interest to tune in live or on replay each and every week for authentic, honest, and real opinion that goes on in the sports world. And we might have the Rose Light Co- Light Skin Coalition uh, week to week for being extra. So the show goes live each and every week on YouTube and Twitch. Search Lockdown Davis Podcast on YouTube and follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Davis Sports. Live and direct each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Subscribe to all our platforms, turn your notification bells on. And if you missed any part of the show, the replay goes live on all platforms at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on uh, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. So check us, there, check us out there. And as next, I had a bonus. If you want to get featured as a mailback question on the show live, email us at LockdownDefenseSports at gmail.com or DM me on Twitter at LockdownDefense. Uh, for all questions must be submitted by Saturday at 5 o'clock for a chance to be on the show each week. As of always, Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt each and every Saturday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, dual cast on Twitch and YouTube. Coach Kurt and I are just here so we don't get banned. Now back to the show.
we are back before the record is the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. All right. I haven't done for the record in quite some time, in all honesty. Um, has there been a segment, uh, air quote, worthy of uh, an entire uh, talking point on it? But we're going to bring it back this week. Uh, if you've been uh, a loyal listener up to this point, you know my for the records can be some heavy-hitting stuff. Heavy-hitting stuff, but, um, you know, pun intended. However, uh, this is 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 a, is a, is a good topic. I wouldn't call it really heavy hitting as, as certain controversial topics we've had in the past, but it's going to be interesting to say the least. Um, let's talk NIL, name, image, likeness for college athletes. Now, uh, we're talking about this um, in 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 uh, detail on Sports Talk with Coach and Curry this past Saturday. So, if you haven't seen that already, check that out. But uh, I'm going to get into uh, more detail about my stance on NIL. Um, this came up in the news this week, uh, because, uh, Nick Saban fired off some shots towards, uh, Dabo Sweeney, Deion Sanders, and a few other of his counterparts, um, that, uh, basically outdid him in certain facets when it comes to recruiting this particular cycle. Uh, I believe Dabo had the, not Dabo, but Jimbo, excuse me, Jimbo Fisher had the best recruiting class of the cycle. I think Alabama was second, but, uh, but yeah, Jimbo uh, beat out uh, Alabama by a good margin. I think they scored seven of the top 34 uh, athletes in the uh, country uh, this past uh, cycle. So I think that was the best that's ever been uh, done. I think that must have been the best recruiting class ever in the history of recruiting. Um, so Nick Saban didn't take uh, a liking to that, obviously. And uh, he called out Jimbo and a few other people in regards to how they attained this talent. And he directed it directly at NIL and said that they paid for all their players. <laughs> now, to most of us that have been around a while, you know, I'm, I'm a boys club, high school, college athlete. I'm a, I'm a boys club, high school coach, right? Uh, I've been around the block and then some. And um, we we all can kind of, you know, kind of belly laugh at this uh, take that Nick Saban had because he made it seem like this was a new thing. And and on top of the fact that he it made it seem like it was a new thing, he made it seem like he'd never done it. Like he was he was Satan Nick. He literally was Satan Nick. Like he's never done anything wrong. Right. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to digress on that for a second and get into what Nick said more to what Nick said. Nick said that his name in his likeness is the Wild Wild West. It's not good for the game. And all people are going to do from this point on is outbid each other and spend as much money as they possibly can on name, image, and likeness and, and buy these players off to the point where they will play for their organizations. <laughs> right? Um, so Jimbo Fisher uh, didn't take any kindly to that um, and fired back some more shots at, at Nick saying that he's no saint. He's not God, and God has a lot of sins and a lot of skeletons in his closet. And if you ask anybody that has coached with him or been in his program or dealt with him, you know that Nick is not a saint, right? So they fired back and forth. Now, he even fired a, a straight bullet at Deion Sanders and and said that, uh, you know, even Deion paid Travis Hunter, who was the number one uh, corner prospect in the in the uh, particular uh talent pool of uh freshmen that they were going to acquire this particular cycle um a lot of people in the power five had their eyes on to try to grab um so Dion pulled him into jackson state uh, hbcu so 
Nick took uh, a session to that saying Barstool Sports and somebody else and had put, you know, banded together and paid his kid a million dollars to sign with Jackson State versus signing with somebody else in the Power Five. <laughs> so Dion kind of shook his head and laughed. He said, look, you know, he's not mad at me. You know, I'm just I'm just a casualty of war. He's not mad at me. He, he was just uh, sending a, 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 a Morse code signal to his boosters saying that we need more money to be able to compete with this big oil money in Texas and this energy money in Texas and, and all these people buying off these players when I should be getting them. Got to have a little bit of a toddler tantrum moment if you ask me, right? So they're beating me and they don't, I'm not used to them beating me and I don't know how to deal with it, you know, kind of thing. So uh, he was upset that, you know, he didn't get any of all the players he wanted. He already just, just got his tail handed to him from Georgia in the national title game, you know, in that, in that Hall of Fame defense that they had. And he beat him with a mediocre quarterback on top of that. He lost both, you know, lost his receivers to ACL injury. So it was just a bad year for Nick. Nick just had a down year. He, had, he, had, he, down, he was down bad for a minute. So, you know, he's slashing out, right? <laughs> so, you know. But all in all, I mean, we can deep down dive into what the real issue is. The real issue is about winning and losing. It's about wins and losses. It's about money and power. Respect. That's what it's all about. You know, money, power, respect. That's really what it's about. Wins and losses. And, they, and all that comes with it. Because wins and losses come money, power, and respect. That's what it boils down. So that's the that's the that's the what I'm using my 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 phrase at the moment. That's the root and the crux of the issue. It's the genesis of the issue is money, power, respect, and my wins and losses. So you know, Nick doesn't like the fact that I took a a, a lashing from from Jimbo in recruiting. I took a lashing from from Georgia in, in the title game after we beat him in the regular season. You know that type of thing. Dion's still in my best corner. I had him in the had him in my pocket, and next thing I know, Dion came in and swooped in and took him from me. I don't like it. Tan, Tyler Tantrum. You know, I even I'm gonna throw Dabo in there too. Dabo is not is not is not clean either. He had some things to say about naming him like he didn't like because he knew he was gonna lose some recruits from Clemson. You know, he's trying to get back. I ain't been the same since Trevor Lawrence left. You know, kind of like Bill Belichick. I need my quarterback back. You know, kind of thing. I just, I just, it ain't the same, you know, so all this stuff, I've just got to lash out and have, have, a, have a tantrum because these things ain't going my way and I ain't looking good. You know, if I, if I, if I had too many of these seasons like this, they're going to mess around and fire me. <laughs> so despite the fact that I won a national title, so lashing out, lashing out. So yeah, and that's all really, what it really is about. So we'll, we'll get off the coaches and we'll talk about name and likeness in the society, right? You know, it's, one of those things where people uh, have mixed feelings on it in certain regards, which I don't really get. Um, like, depending on who you talk to, they have mixed feelings. Like, if you're a former athlete or you're a pro player, then you're all for it. If you're a coach or you're uh, or part of the organization, you know you're about the system more so than and what what you got what you need to have in your program. You're probably got mixed feelings or you're against it, right? But it's here, it's here. You know, it's one of those things where. You know, people die for equal pay. You know, you can't use in my name, image, or likeness for your profit, and I get nothing. You know, listen to um, uh, a former athlete. Um, I'm trying to remember. Oh, Kareem. Jackson. not even former athlete. He's current. Kareem Jackson played for the plays for safety for the Broncos. You know, Kareem underscored a uh, issue that uh, that most of us can't, as college athletes can resonate with. 
you know, he said when he was playing, when he was in school, that uh, he, you know, he and his, a lot of his teammates, you know, had to band together their few little dollars to eat food when they couldn't make the mess hall or the cafeteria on time. You know, and and as a former football player, I know there's been quite a few times that the coaches had to run and beg the cafeteria to stay open because we ran over in practice or we weren't going to eat. And the coach also knew that we didn't have money to pay for food to get ourselves fed and nourished and taken care of from a eating perspective if we didn't go to the cafeteria to eat. So those things type of things happen a lot. You know, it happened a lot in my playing days and it's still happening today with schools that don't have un unlimited resources when it comes down to, you know, food and, and things of that nature and just those resources to, to get things done. We don't have the ability to uh, adhere to um, the, with the regulations of the school. The school has hours of operation just like anything else. And, um, and I think certain schools even have hours for athletes and have hours for regular students now. You know, but that's some, that's some big school, power five type schools. That's not for everybody. Certain you know, school I went to, they had set time. And if it, it closed at, let's say, 530, if you wasn't there by 530, you were short. That's it. it shop was closed. It wasn't, we weren't reopening for nobody. You know, again, go back to my coach. You know, I, I, I remember him running across the campus on more, on more than one occasion because the defense was running practice. The coordinator was running practice, and we were, we were running long. And, and he said, I'm going to run up here and try to get them to keep the cafeteria open because I know you guys got to eat. Run across campus to get the cafeteria stale, just for us. But and it happened more than once. But yet again, you know, going back to Cream Jackson's story, having to you know scrounge around because you don't have money and you're not allowed to work. On top of that, you're not allowed to have a job as an athlete, student athlete. That was a thing for a long time. You couldn't work and earn money because you were a student athlete. You know, and nobody else had that uh, stigma on them, but athletes did. So you, you were pretty much stuck and you had no money to feed yourself or take care of yourself. You know, and if you didn't have your parents and your family didn't have the ability to help you out either, you were really stuck. So the whole idea of naming image likeness fits perfectly in this scheme because you got billion dollars flowing into these certain universities on TV and in these power five, and these big uh, PWI schools. And they are, you know, benefiting thoroughly off the athletic programs, you know, not just football and basketball, but everybody, they're benefiting all of them from a large degree, bringing in billions and billions of dollars every year. And the athletes aren't seeing any of it, which was completely and utterly unfair. And, and to the point where the, the government had to step in, you know, at the, at the lawsuit, at the lawsuit being filed uh, against this particular ideology, you know, that they came in and said, you know, we're changing this idea and kids are able to now profit off their name image likeness on their own. They're not even going to be managed by you. They're allowed to do it themselves so they can have commercial deals and, and, and job responsibilities and, and wear and have paraphernalia and things of that nature, anything that's on brand with, for them and they can profit off of it. <laughs> One thing that they finally got right. Kudos to all involved in making it happen. So, as it stands today, you know, we're the first year or so of it. You know, people are getting paid for their name, image, and likeness, right? So, let's do two things. Let's talk about what's right about it. And let's talk about what maybe needs to change. Um, because, there, you know, because when you have a system that, that isn't guarded or isn't a fine-tooth comb uh, 
dulled out in, in its in, in its inner workings, then you have a lot of uh, leeway for improprieties in certain regards. You just don't know. I mean, things could be going on in just the wild, wild west. You just don't know. There's no regulations on it. So you know, there's no guardrails, no regulations on it to the point where you can pretty much do anything, you know, which is, I mean, I mean, the athletes are complaining because they can get any amount of money they want or well, anything you're offering for, for to get uh, my services, right? They're not complaining, but you know, there's, you know, it needs to be organized. If nothing else, it needs to be organized. So starting about what's right about it. So obvious, obvious in, in, you know, the obvious moment of this whole thing is the, is the financial part of it. Athletes are getting money now to aid in their college uh, experience, right? They're able to take care of themselves financially on their own. They don't have to worry about whether or not their parents get a help out or, or, you know, any trying to generate money for any kind of way in order to survive, you know, just buying normal clothes and shoes and things of that nature for yourself, just to be able to function as a day-to-day person, as an adult, because you're not an adult at this point. You're 18 or plus years old at this point. So you have to function as an adult. You're trying to learn how to function as an adult and you need money to do that. And your job is to be an athlete at this moment. It's not do anything else, be a student and an athlete. That's your job. So you have to be able to find a way to be able to be compensated for that, you know, to be able to function as a normal adult in society on top of being a student athlete. Right. So the financial part is great. No issue with that at all. Great, 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 uh, you know, root of the reason why we're here. So, I would say there's also a positive in the sense that you have to give them the ability, giving players, young adults, the ability to learn how to manage money earlier, you know, because the money they're getting, they're not going to, they're not getting the level of what athletes or professionals make, you know, in a certain regard, they're getting a lot more money than they probably seen in their life, but they are not getting to the money of the elk of millions and billions of dollars or just yet. Right. Not there yet. So, you know, and what I'm sure everybody can attest to as a, as a parent, um, you know, or, or, or coach of that, of those, uh, of that demographic and that 18 to 22 year old demographic is that kids have no clue how to manage money. Right. So this gives them a jumping off point in how to manage money. So this is another good, great positive to this particular, uh, change in the guard is because they're start they have, they're forced to learn how to manage money at a, at a, at a, faster rate than it would be as if they were 22, 23, either getting a job or being a pro athlete. When you just thrown money in droves overnight and you just don't, I mean, it's, it's a culture shock, but if you give them, you know, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what you do with your kids when you give them an allowance, you give them, you know, you give them a certain amount of allowance when they're a certain age. And as they get a little older, they get a little more, you know, they, they kind of get comfortable with dealing with those, that, that kind of money and, you know, be able to get comfortable with managing that kind of money. So, when they get to the point where they get to college, they know know a little bit of something. But when you give them just a little bit more, they they, they step them up in a different, you know, I guess you can say air quote tax bracket. They kind of know, okay, I got this amount of money, I got this amount of things to do. So how do I manage that? So they kind of, you know, you, but you at least you give them a good jumping off point. And this is this is what this type of money will give them, especially if they're a type of player that's going to maybe most likely be an NFL candidate. Um, going forward, it will give them uh, some basis and some foundation on how to deal with, you know, more zeros than they've seen in previous. So I think that's good. On top of that, financial literacy, just knowing the ins and outs of, of having to deal with money, bank account, credit cards, you know, uh, you know, just, you know, uh, profits and losses, you know, things of that nature, those type of things is another positive. They just start their learning financial literacy and holistically at an earlier age, which is good. You know, the more, the quicker you learn how to deal with money and how to manage money, 
the better off you're going to be if you're going to be a business person. Most people, and most people are in certain regard. If you be a business athlete or just be a businessman or woman, you will be able to manage money uh, better when you learn how to the literacy of it quicker. So there's also the added bonus of the idea of, especially when you get up into the upper echelon of these athletes, when they get, you know, the, you know, the hundred thousand, 200,000 and half a million dollar deals, you know, it aids for poverty stricken athletes. Cause a lot of the athletes, especially with the high end talented athletes, I mean, let's be real. The, a lot of the minority athletes are in poverty stricken situations. So it's, it's aiding their poverty stricken situation where they can help themselves and help their families you know, get their heads above water. Finally, you know, they've, they've clawed and, and fought and, and fight constantly trying to, you know, make it to a point where they can get you to the uh, next level. And, you know, that will aid them and help them, you know, for their sacrifice, you know, so that's a positive as well. I'm not saying today that you should be a parent that should be living off your kid, but it still helps with the financial, you know, burden that you've been put, that's been given to you you know, in your situation. So it's, that's definitely a plus to me. Definitely a plus to me. So again, helping out your poverty stricken um, athlete and family. That's a positive, you know? And if they're not an NFL candidate, it's also giving them a good starting point for other business endeavors. If they starting a brand, let's say hypothetically, they took this money and start a clothing line. And that gives them a, a automatic career right out of college. Done deal. That's like giving you a business loan from the time you get 18 and you go to business school, you learn the ins and outs, you learn everything that needs to be done for your brand and your business, and you shoot your clothing line off right out of school. Done. You already got a business at 21, 22 years old. Done deal. Already. Ain't that what college is about anyway? The living the dream? Done deal. Easy positive, right? Easy positive. You know, again, and building their brand for the long haul. You know, if I can start a brand at 18 years old and by the time I got out of school at 22, 23 years old, right? You know, if I built my brand for three to four years, you know, so when I get out, my brand could have been worth $100,000 when I started it. It could be worth a million by the time I'm done in college. Another, you know, a, a good, you know, American dream story that's pushed out and say that I have lived my the, the American dream and I'm now worth a million dollars versus a hundred thousand dollars worth of that was given at the time I got to college. Another positive. And also, you know, just to be honest, bridge, bridging the wealth gap amongst minority players and their counterparts, you know, because a lot of, a lot of, a lot of players that are of the minority elk are, you know, at a disadvantage financially and trying to make it, you know, from as a college athlete. And that underscores what I was saying about just not be able to feed yourself from day to day. You just don't have the money. So, you know, so bridging the wealth gap about all the other things I've underscored that is good. You know, just if I can, you know, you know, be uh, at a hundred million dollars, a hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars of wealth versus zero when I get out of school or in debt, like a lot of kids are when they get out of school, then that already gives me a better jumping off point in my life. As a, as a, just a, as normal everyday business person versus being broke or being in debt when I got out of school, like most people are. So bridges the wealth gap as well. So you got to look at that from that perspective as well. So those are all the positives to me, you know, much of a few other things it could be, I could have missed, but those are the things that really stick out to me that are very positive about NIL. Now, what needs to change? Now, I'm not saying you should take anything away at all. I just think some things maybe need to change and need to tweak in order to kind of, you know, regulate this. So it's not the wild, wild west. And we're not 
fighting and fussing and having tantrums every week from coaches. So what needs to change, in my opinion? You know, criteria that, you know, the criteria by which you can obtain an NIL deal is probably what needs to be different. Um, I would say that uh, because, you know, most people are saying, at least, you know, Nick alluded to the idea that kids are only signing with these schools because the NIL deals that they've been promised, right? So to kind of tweak that, I would say that, that, uh, that you have to have a commitment from the athlete prior to them getting NIL deal. And I would take it a step further. I would say they have to commit to the school without the promise of NIL. And they have to report to the team for camp and of your sport and school before you get the deal. Before you can, the deal can be even be struck. So you're already in-house and you're there. Now, you could, under the table, promise them, say, hey, well, you sign here. We can't make it official to you. It's in school. But once you get here, we'll give you a million dollars in NIL. Okay, but but they still have gotten to the school without a a guarantee because that could that could that could be smoke mirrors. You only you're trusting what they're saying, so it could, you know. So you're going to the school, so you you would also be, go. They'll also make you go back and weigh more options as far as the school you want to attend. You know, if I'm choosing between Clemson and and LSU, right, and um you know, and I like the location of Clemson, but I like the program of LSU. Now I got to weigh those options again because, you know, the NIL deal is no guarantee. So I want to make sure that I choose the right school on top of what they may or may not promise me for NIL. I'll probably get some money, but I'm still going to weigh more, weigh my options more so about where I want to go and play for and team I want to play for versus just chasing money. Right. So that, that'll kind of put the roadblocks up for that as far as them just chasing money and not caring where they go. You know, if, if, if coaches are truly concerned about that. So you have to, you know, be in school, be in camp, and be and on the team prior to you getting striking, assigning the NI deal on the dotted line. And I also put a cap on the money that you can obtain per position that they can make at any level. You know, so let's say hypothetically, you know, quarterbacks, wide receivers, and 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 uh, running backs can make five hundred thousand per year. You know, and then you know, linemen can make two fifty, and D linemen two fifty, your linebackers two fifty. You know, cornerbacks, you know. 350, you know, just any numbers. I'm just throwing numbers out there. But you put a cap on the amount of money they can earn per position, they can make it any level playing on the field for the, for the school that they're at. You know, so that will kind of level the playing field a tad when it comes down to these to the boosters and the power five schools that have more money than other schools. You know, so I would say that that's something that you, you can use as a regulation piece as well. And the final thing I think is you, what they should do is assign a mandatory school paid financial liaison, consultant, and or accountant to each student that gets an NIL deal to help them manage their money responsibly. So if you do that, then that right there, to me, should curb your uh, mistrust with this NIL program and allow you to, uh, one, truly do what you're supposed to be doing in its own right, helping the student, get them a financial liaison, an accountant, getting them they're, you know, make, have them commit and really understand and truly decide that they want to go there before they get LIL. Then, you know, then and only then, you know, you could, uh, you know, give them a true deal and you put a cap on the amount of money you get. So no matter where you go, you're getting the same amount of money. So again, that would also go back to them making them re recollect and think about what they really want to play at. Do I really want to play LSU or Clemson? I like LSU's program better, so I'm gonna play with LSU. So I'm gonna get the same five hundred thousand dollars at LSU max that I'm gonna get at Clemson. So it doesn't matter. So I'm gonna play, go play for who I really want to play for. So that gets back to the genesis of what, do I really want to play for this school or do I really just want to go to chase the money? So, so there it is.
There it is. Like I said, overall, I like the NIL. I just think it needs some, a few regulations, but it's definitely good. It has way more positives than the people want to give it credit for. You know, so I hope people understand that and get over themselves and stop having tantrums about the fact that, you know, it's here. It's here. It's not going anywhere. And it's a good thing for students. And it's going to help bridge the gap and get kids off the ground running more so and better off within their lifestyle and uh, after, the, after college versus being struggling and being able to hardly be able to pay their bills and pay their loans back because of their debt that they've accumulated in college. So there you have it. So, and that was a good thing. Let's just accept it and let's just embrace it and we'll be fine. So that's going to be for the record. We're going to uh, take a quick break and we're going to come back with a full quarter closeout. It's the Lockdown Davis Podcast. And we are back with the fourth quarter closeout of the Lockdown Davis Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Oh, man, episode 86 is in the books, man. I appreciate everybody holding me down throughout the entirety of this podcast, man. Uh, check out all of my videos. I got a couple of videos on James Harden and the Likers um, in my channel, as well as the podcast each and every Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your popular platforms you get your podcast from, as well as Sports Talk with Coach and Kurt. That uh, show goes live each and every Saturday, uh, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on twitch.tv forward slash Lockdown Davis Sports and simulcast on my YouTube page, Lockdown Davis Podcast. And the replay for that on all popular platforms goes live at 11 a.m. on Mondays. As well as check me out on the Wild Wild West podcast. It's the AFC West rendition of uh, podcasting for uh, the AFC West teams. Each team as a representative. I'm the Chargers representative for that. Check that out each and every Wednesday. This is broadcast on my channel as well. So uh, like, comment, subscribe to my channel. Uh, if you listen to this through this entirety, understand that we are 13 subs away from uh, an NFL or NBA jersey giveaway. So if you haven't subscribed already, please do so. Uh, once we get to that uh, 13 threshold is met, we will do, be doing a giveaway to subscribers only. So if you subscribe to my channel, check that out. And we will be doing a giveaway for subscribers and subscribers only. So uh, make sure you get in on the ground of that and make sure you subscribe if you have not done so already. All right, so what we're going to do is get in our awards. Oh, before I mention that, uh, Bravo West Podcast is uh, broadcast at 7.30 on Wednesday, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on Wednesdays, each and every Wednesday. So check that out as well. Um, get in the chat. It's hot and heavy, spicy with all Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs, and Broncos fans. So it's nice and spicy. So uh, get in there and, uh, and rep your squad. All right, so what we're going to do here is give out our awards for uh, Breakout Player of the Week, Lockdown Defender of the Week, and Big Dummy of the Week. So uh, let's get to it. All right, so Breakout Players of the Week for this week are as follows. Steph Curry uh, has been balling out of control. Um, he's got his team one win away from the NFL, NBA Finals. Uh, he's averaging 28 points uh, this cycle, 8.3 rebounds and 6.7 assists. And they have a 3-0 lead against the Mavs. That guy underscored. Jason Tatum was on my on my radar again this week, averaging 24.3 points a game, 6.8 points, rebounds per game, and five assists in his uh, reign of terror on the Miami Heat. Uh, lockdown defenders of the week are Jimmy Butler and Al Horford. 
Jimmy poured in 25 rebounds this week, uh, three blocks and seven steals. Al Horford poured in 30 rebounds, eight total blocks and one steal. So to uh, Steph Curry, Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, and Al Horford, you get our awards for Breakout Player of the Week and Lockdown Field of the Week. On the Big Dummy of the Week, and to no surprise, it, it goes to those stands and those uh, lack of self-awareness fans of the Commanders and the Raiders. I'm sorry. Uh, I got to do it to you. You know, and uh, you have to honestly and truly take a step back and realize that you're not focusing on the right thing. You really aren't. You have to understand that you are really, really missing the ball altogether. You're, you're just totally disregarding the real issue and overall issue. You're focusing on the fact that they're, uh, you know, penalizing, air quote, penalizing your team. But the the penalty and, and the issue and the evil in your organization is your front office people, your coaches, your, your, your owners, your presidents, you know, those people who do these ugly things. And are you know quote been getting away from it from years, and now they're called to the carpet on it, and they the fans are mad because the people are singling them out. I'm sorry, you know you can't be mad at you finally being arrested after years of doing crime. You've been doing crime. <laughs> You've been doing crime. It has nothing to do with the fact that you got caught. It has everything to do with the fact that you were doing crime. And that's the root of the issue. That's the root of the issue. So if the crimes weren't committed, then there would be no there would be no people coming after you. And if the, if the ugly things that your people in your organization have done were not done, you will be having these issues. You won't be crying wolf talking about it's a hit job. They're singling us out. They don't like the commanders. They don't like the Raiders. Get over yourself. And once all that riffraff is cleaned out and, and, and things are brought to a, a better and overall, I guess you can say cleaner space then you'll be back right back to compete in football games. So until then, clean your house, get your house cleaned up, and you won't have these issues. So so all those people out there standing and, 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 and raving about the fact that you're being singled out, Commanders fans, Raiders fans, or anybody that's singing these songs or singing these issues, you get a Big Dummy of the Week award. You big dummy. So that's going to wrap up the podcast this week, man. We'll try to be back next week as always. Uh, Tuesday, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on all your popular platforms you get your podcast from. I'm your host, Coach Defense. Until next week, step up and log it down.